0: Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Today we're speaking with Danny Lloyd Pritchard, a bee researcher and educator, and one half of the Bee Therapy podcast. Danny recently published a paper on bees that identify endangered plants, specifically the Gravilia parviflorae species. Danny is also an environmental activist, and she just loves bees. Welcome, Denny.
1: Thanks, Damo. It's great to be here.
0: So can you tell us a bit about your history of working with bees?
1: It started about 15 years ago when my children were reaching those teenage years and were consuming a lot of honey. We'd replaced the sugar with honey and we were also noticing our garden didn't have a lot of bees in it and also... None of my children had been stung by a bee. They were, they were at a school that had an apiary. And part of their curriculum was learning about the life cycle of bees and their place in the ecosystem, and also learning how to manage the hives and harvest some honey. And as a parent watching this really cool stuff, you go, hang on, I'm missing out here. <laughs> and so there was there were a few factors. It was like, well, first of all, wouldn't it be great if we could get the veggies in our garden pollinated, so there weren't enough bees around. So we recognized we needed some bees. Wouldn't it be lovely if we could, as a bonus, actually get a hive and get our own honey? And thirdly, as a very sad mother, wouldn't it be nice if my children all got stung by a bee growing up in Australia? How can you not run around in summer and barefoot in your backyard or on the playground or anywhere and not be stung by a bee? So, Yeah, there were a few things there and they all came together at around that 15, 14 years ago. And I decided to go along and and learn about bees from one of the parents at the school that my children were attending. He decided to put on a few weekends of an introduction to beekeeping and that's where my love began from day one, the first time I got to look inside a beehive, I think. I stopped breathing, definitely did. There was a few minutes there. I was in total awe at these bees and I had no idea there were so many bees in a single beehive. We're talking 50,000. Blew my mind.
0: (laughs) Wow, wow.
1: And I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. Very addictive.
0: (laughs) And did you get your wish? Did your kids all get stung? Absolutely. Multiple (laughs) times. (laughs) Oh,
1: that's brilliant. It is an occupational hazard of beekeeping. And if you're going to be a beekeeper, you're going to get stung.
0: Yeah, definitely. So for you, why bees and why not wombats or platypuses? What is it about bees that really made you want to specialise?
1: The fascination of a colony of insects doing such important work for us as a human, human species in the pollination of our food the pollination of our ecosystems and the way they fit in to those food chains themselves you know they're an important link in the chain so it's the connectivity of the bees to our entire lives and once you start looking at bees it opens your world and i started looking at bees then i started looking at the plants looking at the flowers, looking at the bigger picture, looking at the environment, not just in my backyard or my local area around the streets, but you start looking on almost on a government council level. You know, you start really paying attention to what's happening in your local government area, what changes are coming in. You might even start putting in some submissions against um, certain applications that you feel are threatening the resources of your bees. (laughs) It really just connects you. And there's also the fun side of it. You know, bees, yes, they're insects, but what you can learn by, by keeping bees and the skills you learn, not just in carpentry, building your own hives and the components that go with it, the tools that you have to use, now that's pretty exciting, and the outfits you have to wear, so you've got to dress up. and then you, yeah, and then you, you meet other beekeepers, and you just form these networks, and they're all beautiful. And I think for me, another important factor was it was my time. It was the time to get to my hives, and unless they had a suit, no one else was going to come with me.) <laughs> it's one way to escape the kids if they're
0: annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And don't give the kids a suit, right? No. (laughs) Uh,
1: Look, some people go fishing, some people go golfing. I went beekeeping.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm just about the suits. Do do people get into, like, you know, designing their really outlandishly coloured ones? I've only seen the sort of basic white, but do they get into sort of redesigning and and, and the, the fashion of uh of beekeeping sort apiary suits.
1: Of course they do. <laughs> so, especially the women beekeepers, you know, we'd love it. We'd love our bees and yeah, we're gonna make fun, make make some fun with it. I've seen pink suits, I've seen multicoloured rainbow suits, bright yellow suits. I've seen beehives painted with incredible patterns, mandalas, and gorgeous scenes of what you'd imagine must look like overseas when they have all the fields and all their wildflowers in flower. You know, it's you can just create an amazing feel to your beehive and your apiary. And um, yeah, it becomes this just this little haven for you and your bees. So why not make it pretty?
0: Yeah, just as a, a, a sideline side to that, you also produce recipes for beet products. Can you give us some of your favourite recipes?
1: Oh, at the moment, it's been so cold. So one of the favourite recipes would absolutely be chai tea with honey. You, you can't beat a nice hot cup of tea with honey, and I like making it on soy milk. So always use the leaf chai, use those nice spices, brew it up for at least 10 minutes preferably longer. Sometimes I brew it in the stove for maybe half an hour, add your soy milk, bring it up to a nice temperature, then add loads and loads of honey, the best-tasting honey you've got. In winter I love dark honey, so I love to put that in, in my tea. So, yeah, there's tea, but, you know, there's a bit of a trend at the moment, honey on
0: pizzas. <laughs> You're kidding.
1: I'm not kidding. No.
0: Have you tried it?
1: Yes. It Works, it works.
0: Oh, I can't yeah. imagine that. I mean, it's You'll bad enough to. putting a pineapple on there, but but, but honey <laughs> really? Oh, okay, I'll try it. Can you order it from Domino's? No, not yet,
1: <laughs> not yet, but maybe I'll go and talk to them about it.
0: <laughs> um, the um, uh, nutritional value of honey, I mean, honey's just natural sugar, isn't it? What, 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 what else is there in there that oh. makes it so special? I know you're going to kick me for that, aren't
1: you? No, I'm not going to kick you. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, there's, there's over 200 little components within honey that they've been able to identify. Yes, the majority of it is sugars and the main ones are your fructose and glucose, but if we could have really identified all the components of honey, I think we would have replicated it by now and we can't. Ah, okay. Fake honey. What is it? It's just pure glucose syrup.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't taste like honey. No. So it's all the enzymes, the proteins, the vitamins, the minerals, all these essences that the bees bring into it that they've brought in from the flowers. Every, every flower is different. The nectar is different. So your honey is going to taste different. It's incredible. Yeah, and there's also a little bit of water in there. (laughs) We have to have the water because obviously there's a lot of water in the plants that comes through to the nectar. Um, But the bees process it in the hive to that delicious product and they bring it down to the the right concentration, the right amount of water, and they cap it off when it's ready. And when we get to harvest it, that pure, ripe honey, it's it's delicious and perfect.
0: You did mention dark honey. That's an interesting one because I've seen – many variations and shades of, of honey, particularly bought at the, you know, some of the country markets and stuff, and they have the name of the tree. Is the the colour of the honey dependent on the tree? Like Yes,
1: yes. Age can also determine the colour of honey. All honeys will eventually go really, really dark given time. Ah. Mm-hmm. But if it's recently harvested and it's a dark honey that's come out of the hive, yes, that has come from the plants that the bees were foraging on. And if it's come from a large beekeeper, they know where their hives have been placed and they know what trees were flowering at the times their hives were in that position. So they can be fairly sure that the honey that they're taking off will contain a large proportion of the nectar from that particular tree. So you might have bought some yellow box honey. Well, that's a very common yellow box. That's typical table honey. Uh, some of your typical commercial brand honeys that you buy they taste the same no matter where you buy it from, in what year you've bought it from. It tastes the same as it did when you were a kid. That's typically yellow box.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs>
1: but some stringy barks will give you a nice dark honey. Um, overseas, they have a buckwheat honey is known to be really, really dark. Um, so, yeah, they, they all vary. And, you know, honey that comes off alfalfa and lucerne can be really almost clear
0: and all those good enzymes and good mysterious ingredients that we still haven't learned enough about are they you know dependent on the tree as well or the 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 particular pollen type like if you you get a particularly honey that's very very rich in, in in nutrients because of the tree that the the bee um pollinated
1: Yeah, it's the tree, but the bees also have their special enzymes that they infuse the honey with. So there's definitely things coming from the bee, but the majority of it's coming from the plants and it's the nectar that goes into the honey. Pollen comes into the hive, but it's usually kept down in the brood area and it's made into a bee bread and that's what they feed their babies and it's the protein source of the hive. So really, really important for the growing babies to have the protein from the pollen. And it'll be mixed with a bit of the nectar. But the honey is the carbohydrates, and that's come from the nectar in the flowers.
0: So if we're harvesting honey or robbing the hive, as they used to say, I only learnt that from your podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, there was, you know, had a whole episode or most of an episode on, on robbing, didn't you? <laughs> um, but I thought that was a really interesting term. But anyway, um, we're, if we're doing that, we are harvesting the honey, Um Are we stealing their food source for their babies? What's the honey there for? If human beings aren't aren't around and they're making the honey anyway, what's it made for?
1: It is as a food source for the colony. In times of drought, times of lack of resources, in really, really cold conditions, say there's beehives down in the snowies right now. Those bees can't forage. They can't get out of the hive. It's too cold. So the bees need to stay warm and they need to stay alive and they'll cluster together and they'll keep themselves warm by eating their stores of honey. So yes, they do need a certain amount of honey left in the hive just in case their resources become cut off. For some reason, they can't get there. There There's floods, there's fires, something's now removed them from their resources, their food out in the bush, wherever it is. So they rely on the honey that they've collected and stored. In time, yeah, there there are times when there's an abundance of nectar and the bees will just forage frantically and ferociously constantly for as long as they can and store as much honey as possible. This usually happens in spring and summer and they actually run out of room. And when you know your bees are on what we call a flow or a strong flow, that's the time to harvest some of their honey.
0: Uh because you
1: know they're going to fill it back up.
0: Yes. Within days
1: they've replaced what you've already taken off. Yes. So you just have to time it. Know what your bees are doing. Make sure we're not about to go into a long, cold spell and make sure you always leave enough honey for the hive. And it's usually considered about a box of honey you'd leave.
0: That makes sense. So the good apiarist will be working towards having a few different hives and harvesting the one that's in the flow and leaving the other's to get to, that, to get to that stage. I'll yeah.
1: Catch. Hopefully all of the hives in the apiary are on the same flow when it's really, really strong and that's when you can, can harvest quite a lot of honey and that's what the large beekeepers rely on, the commercial beekeepers, is on a strong flow and most of the time in Australia it's a eucalypt flow and that's where they can get their tonnes of honey. Yeah. But you're, not, you're watching a hive, you, you're watching them constantly, you understand how they're growing or not and what they need what's coming up
0: now there was a time when if you discovered a bee swarm under your house or somewhere like that you'd call pest controllers to uh you know exterminate them but apparently it's illegal to kill a swarm of bees is that true
1: it's not illegal it is not illegal to to kill a swarm of bees Ah. these days people are more concerned about the welfare of bees and they're more reluctant to harm them so they will look at options for dealing with a bee swarm. And they may call a beekeeper to come and collect the swarm. They may call a club like one of the beekeeping clubs to see what their options are. If the hive, if the swarm's actually moved into a building, there are people that can come and remove swarms from from buildings and and box them in a hive and take them away. Um, The last resort is always the, yeah pest exterminator but sometimes that is your only option and it it's fine to do so if those bees are going to cause a problem or are causing a problem and in that sense i mean they may have moved into an inappropriate location within a hive or within a building they may have moved inside a house Um, sometimes they've moved into cars and if you can't entice the bees out and get the queen of the colony to move out into your hive uh, you'll you just can't remove the bees and they will settle in, start building wax, start having babies. <laughs> they'll be growing the brood and next it'll be honey stores and, yeah, and they'll they'll just keep coming back and keep swarming. So, yeah, it's not illegal. They're, they're insects, so they're not technically protected like um, mammalian species and other species in Australia. But if there's a swarm or if there's a beehive, so to speak, you know, actually, in a box with a number on it, it's a registered hive. You can't interfere with that. You can't go killing hives and, unless they're your own and there's a, an actual reason for you needing to destroy that colony because of disease. Um, no, you don't touch other people's beehives, but you can report them if they're a nuisance. And the same with a swarm. If a swarm comes in and you can't deal with it, you know, you can ring up people to to help you out.
0: Okay, well, it's good to know that there are some some. Uh Bee swarm removalists, um, so to speak, because we saw online only in America um, the Texas bee worker, and she would, quite young actually, and unprotected, would go to these swarms of bees and she would collect them and she'd have a little plastic container. The hardest thing was for her to get the queen, but if she got the queen in the plastic container, all the others would follow, and it was easy from there. But I couldn't believe she's doing this with not even gloves or, you know, no protection whatsoever. So I don't know. Um, I don't
1: advise you do that.
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, Danny. I'm not going anywhere near them. I just want to hear about them. That's all. They're interesting. They're not going to come near me.
1: They are interesting. (laughs) And, yeah, you can go down a rabbit's hole of YouTube clips and watch people catching swarms doing some pretty risky stuff and not wearing PPE when you're dealing with a, a swarm, especially if you don't know bees, if you haven't got any experience, you would never try that. You'd wear full protection. Yeah. You also yeah. don't know how long the swarm's been there. The longer a swarm's been in a position, the more aggressive they're going to get because they're getting desperate. They haven't got it, they haven't settled into a home, they haven't fed for a few days. Ah. A fresh swarm straight out of a hive, they're really docile that you can touch them with your bare hands. And Ah. um, because their stomachs are full of honey and they're just in a different mindset, you know, they're moving out and they've gorged themselves. And they say it's physically almost impossible for a bee to sting you when they've just left the hive as Mm -hmm. they're swarming because they're so gorged, their abdomens, they can't actually bend that little stinger around and get you easily. So but not every swarm's going to be like that, so I just say no.
0: So they're half cut on mead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that makes sense. I can't imagine. I can't <laughs> imagine drunk bees, but, yeah, that, that's – but, I mean, I imagine someone like her would be good at the, – the Texas bee work I'm referring to would be good at, at reading the bees and knowing that they're like that. And therefore, she can. They're quite passive. She can do that with. She would have
1: checked them out. She would have known exactly what was going on. And there are some tricks of the trade. You know, you can you can create very docile bees with some special manipulation of the hives and some special feeding, <laughs> some nice rich sugar syrup. You know, sweeten the the deal, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so don't believe everything you see.
0: <laughs> no, no. Well, I. Don't usually, but this one got me in because, yeah, it was interesting and, and I was also caught up in that uh, urban myth that it was illegal in Australia to kill them. But, no, you've debunked that one. Um, what's bee therapy? When I first saw that I thought, are you psychoanalyzing traumatised pollinators? But <laughs> it's the other way around, isn't it? They're, they're helping they're helping us. In The, the therapy is for us, right?
1: You've got it. That's exactly what it is, Damo. Um, Yeah, a good friend of mine, my bee buddy, Patrice Newell, we've been keeping bees for a long time and we've been friends for a long time and when we talk, we talk bees obviously and it just got to the point one day, she said, you know, our conversations are really good, we should start recording these and we were in the the beginnings of COVID, you know, we'd, we'd experienced a bit of the lockdowns and going into our second year and she just said, look, let's just do this if we can and... So we sat down and we just started having conversations and it's about all things bees. And for us, we love using every component of our hives. So, you know, we don't waste any of the products. When we extract the honey, we save the wax, we save the propolis. Um, we're not going to waste a single drop of honey or a single gram of wax. So we start talking about that. And we also love cooking. So we shared the recipes. And then we're also both scientists. We've both got a back. Both got a background in research and um, we enjoy, like you, you know, you you read the latest research and we like talking about it and analysing it and trying to put it into the context of either our experiences or beekeeping within Australia or somewhere else that we're familiar with. So the conversations just grow and we've had a lot of fun. <laughs> and we said it's almost like an insurance policy. We've got these recordings now. We've done our first series and we're working on the content for our second one now, getting ready to go back into the, the recording studio. Uh, but there's so much to know about bees. We literally have got a lifetime's worth of content to discuss. And you'll, you're always learning as a beekeeper. There's so much coming out around the world, not just in Australia, but there's so much we're learning almost weekly about our bees. And they're fascinating.
0: Have you been contacted by anybody with the name, the t- title like that for your podcast? Um, have you been contacted by people about actually, you know, training people to get involved with with bees um, for therapy, maybe for depression or for anxiety or trauma or anything like that? Have you Have you actually been contacted? Yes, about
1: that? yes, um, and also had quite a few inquiries as to whether our is our podcast about api therapy. So the application of bee stings for, you know, medical conditions, and it's not about that. Um, the therapy you're referring to, yeah, that's it's probably where it came from. You know, talking about bees has been and keeping bees and working our hives and just being around our hives has been therapy for a long time for various reasons in our lives. Whether it's just to cope with family and stressful life situations with kids, just to have some time out from your research and your work, um, and just to be. Yeah, just to be in nature, really, and, and connected, feeling connected. But yes, I've got a background in education with an education and training, and particularly training beekeepers. That was my most recent activity in the training space. And there were students of mine that suffered from post traumatic stress disorder. We also had people with various disabilities that were taking up beekeeping as they could no longer continue with their. Um, previous work so they were retraining and looking for skills and an outlet to cope with their various conditions and the feedback I had was fantastic um yeah it's yeah and my hearing it I know they're doing it is it in Victoria they've got um I can't remember the exact name but I heard it recently it's like hive for veterans so yeah yeah return veterans they're they're getting into beekeeping and they're and there's also the program for jail. There's a program for beekeeping in jails.
0: Prisoners, well. Wow. Yeah, down great. in Victoria.
1: So it's it's a therapy for them as well, you know, definitely. And you're you're learning really practical skills. And when you come out, you know, a beekeeper is not just about the bees. Like we've talked about it, it's about the plants, it's about the entire environment around them. Mm. And you learn a lot once you start watching bees. You're taking notice of what plants they're interested in, what they like, and you're going to start wanting to plant more or, or look for what's around your area and you become this naturalist almost or a phenologist is what I call people. You know, when you're a beekeeper, you're, you're watching nature. You're watching the cycles of nature and the cycle of your bees. So you're our phenologist.
0: Okay. Um, we've got a, a couple of quick questions on just um, all things beekeeping. Oh, you mentioned it earlier. What's a propolis?
1: Propolis is like the glue that sticks everything together inside the hive and it's made by the bees. It's a combination of wax that they produce in their body and resins that they collect from plants and they mix it all together and they fill up little cracks in the, in the hive if there's little holes showing and they can create tunnels through the hive which f- like funnels the air and circulates it around the colony. It's incredible. They create their own air conditioning system within the hive using the propolis. But the propolis has been shown to be extremely high in activity against like microorganisms. So it's, it's a medicinal product and there's a lot of research going on into that. You might have seen it, actually. You can go into pharmacies and certain shops now and propolis is now an ingredient in a lot of toothpastes and certain, yeah. Creams, cosmetics, yeah, they're starting to use it.
0: Right, right. great. Another quick one, what's the average life cycle of a bee? I mean, I guess it's different drone worker and queen, right? But let's say the good old worker. The
1: good old worker, about six weeks.
0: Oh, six weeks, man. From
1: egg to the final flight.
0: (laughs) Right, and uh, the queen?
1: Yeah, they say two to three years on average. Sometimes longer. I've certainly have one had had a queen live longer than three years.
0: Wow! And the drone?
1: Yeah, depending on the season, but they can overwinter, so they can go a few months.
0: Okay. Once again, the poor old worker suffers the most. Um, short, short life.
1: The boys can actually suffer a bit too. Can they? It depends on the season. Usually, by the end of autumn. The majority of the drones have been kicked out of the hives. The girls don't want to feed them anymore. They're going to save their stores for winter.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. They can join the workers and do some work. (laughs) Um, do, Do, is it, I mean, we all have heard that native bees don't sting, but are there any varieties of native bee that does sting? Or is that totally an urban myth and they do sting? They do sting. Ah, there you go.
1: Except wow. for the 11 species of stingless bees. Obviously, they don't sting.
0: <laughs> they always drop the stingless yeah. when they talk about them. Yeah, so, yes. so, yeah, so the majority. Only the
1: females. Uh-huh. Only the females have the stinger. And in our native bees, like bees have evolved from wasps. So if you've ever been stung by a wasp, you know, they can sting you multiple times. They're not like the honeybee that loses its stinger and it's got the barbs and it gets stuck in your sting, uh, in your skin, and they die. Um, our native bees could, can sting you multiple times and not die because they're like a wasp. But very rarely will they sting. You know, our honeybees are stinging us because they're protecting a nest. So it's usually only bees, native bees, are only going to sting you if you've trapped them. So maybe they flew into your hair or, you know, got caught in your shirt or something like that or in your hat. Uh, You didn't see it. It was on a flower and you picked up the flower and squashed it and it it will sting you. Right. Um, And the larger the bee, obviously, the the ouchier the sting. (laughs) But, yes, they can. But it is very rare. They don't attack.
0: What about pesticides in terms of the residual effects of certain pesticides that can be damaging to bees? Like, I mean, obviously not pesticides directly, you know, with bees in the line of fire, but just the residual effects of certain pesticides in oh. agriculture. Are there any, are there lots? That oh, are there are. To bees, Look, really?
1: That's a huge topic of research and certainly in the last oh, 10 years we've been hearing more and more about the neonicotinoids that are contained in some of the pesticides, insecticides, and they've been shown to definitely harm the bees. A lot of research was done on bumblebees, but yeah, yeah. It it affects them on multiple levels, but the ones I remember is when they, they looked at the neurological effects of the neonicotinoids on the bees' brains and they found that it was interfering with their navigation and it was interrupting their flight patterns and making it difficult. They, they think it contributed to some of the colony collapse disorder, but they couldn't find their way home or they couldn't find their way properly to the food source. Um, that's just one example I'm aware of, but it's huge. And even fungicides, herbicides, there's so many chemicals. There's chemicals that are being used on our crops and they will find their way back into the hive and it does harm the bees. Sometimes they can tolerate certain levels, but in large doses, yeah, you know they're insecticides. They're going to kill the insects. That's what they're designed to do, and that's what they do. Um, so then, it's not good to have your beehives anywhere near those chemicals. If you can avoid it, you should.
0: Okay, good to know. Um, well, not good to know, but good <clears throat> good to be aware of. Um, I didn't I didn't realize it was such a such a large problem. Um, no, we were speaking with uh with Roz last week about the the varroa mite and how we're very very lucky so far so far fingers crossed the varroa mite has not reached our shores or, or at least taken off if it has as yet. Um, there's there's also a beetle some sort of beetle pest isn't <laughs> there that is here that's that's affecting and killing bee co- colonies. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's It's a small hive beetle. It's a little black beetle. It's come from Africa and it's spread all the way up the east coast, up and down the east coast now, and it's slowly making its way west in Australia. It's, you know, the little army beetles, little black beetles you'd see in your lawn. It's about the same size, maybe a little bit smaller than that, but they are black beetles and the bees can generally control them. But every so often... The bees become overwhelmed by the sheer number of the beetles and these beetles can fly. They say they can fly up to 15 kilometres and they're attracted to the hives and they go in and They their life cycle is laying the eggs in the hive, the eggs hatch into the larvae. The larvae then starts to eat the protein and it slimes out the hive. So they they just go through and totally destroy the comb. They're eating the stores, they're eating the larvae. And what you're left with is a stinking black tar mess in your colony and the bees will leave. You know, If they can, they will abscond. And then you just have this mess of larvae and beetles and slimy stuff coming out of your colony. And you can't easily clean it up because they leave a yeast behind, which is a contaminant. So even if they, the bees had left and you get to the hive and you think, oh, there's all these beetles and larvae, but hey, I've still got a box of honey. They haven't eaten the honey You wouldn't use it because of the slime that contains the yeast, which would contaminate your honey. So you have to remove all of that. And it's not easy to clean, you know, even scrubbing it. You just can't clean the box off and it's Uh. left this smell and the bees don't like it, but other beetles do. So you could reuse the equipment. You may get bees to settle back into the boxes, but then straight away the beetles are going to sniff out the remnants of previous beetle colonisation and they'll move in and make it really tough for the bees. So. Yeah, we have to control for it. It's something you monitor your hives for and you give them things, you give the bees things to help them control the beetles.
0: Scary stuff. I heard that there was some technology which was scanning for uh, scanning for, for either this beetle, it might have been the Varroa, I'm not sure, but it was pretty amazing stuff. So let's hope that that technology continues to be even further enhanced. I mean, with, with pesticides and and the beetle and varroa and all of these threats. Do you think bees should be protected?
1: I think they should. And I I think the majority of people like you possibly believe they are. Because of the media coverage and the stories we've heard from around the world for a long time now, we're more aware of the, the plight of the bees and people feel a responsibility to care for them. And they don't want to kill a single bee. They want to save a bee. There's a big thing about, you know, if you see a bee dying, give it a little drink of sugar water or something like that. You know, you can save the bee. Um, They have a short life cycle, but we are very attached to them. And we do have a fear of if we lose our bees, maybe we're going to lose ourselves in a way. You know, it would be really, really bad if the world lost its bees because we know how important they are to the whole cycle our food cycle and then the ecosystems that rely on them as well, so we're so much more aware of pollination and the importance of bees and people love them and they want to do the right thing wherever they can even if they're not a beekeeper they want to know what they can do to help bees
0: it's it's interesting isn't it it sort of goes back to when we were little kids and you know how much we loved the 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 storybooks that had Wonderful little bee characters. They're fluffy. They're, they're they're you know they're yellow and black and and they're 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 plump and they're they're cute. But at the same time, as little kids, we get stung. We hate them. And <laughs> I mean, we. But I don't think we hate them for too long. We still we're still we grow up as you said. We want to protect them. We grow up with this interesting relationship to bees if they can be. Sort of counted as as one of Australia's nasties, <laughs> like you know the attitudes to sharks and blurring octopus and most and the, the 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 deadly snakes we have and and all of those those deadly creatures that that we have in Australia. We don't. We have a different relationship with bees, don't we?
1: We do. I don't think they've put a horror movie out yet about bees. Have oh, they? they
0: have. Oh, they yeah. They have. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know about it? It was,
0: it was called swarm (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm gonna track that one down (laughs) don't don't oh actually for laugh value it's it's probably worth a look it's it's a z-grade horror movie (laughs) called Swarm. it's a shocker but yeah
1: well the bees have only been in australia honeybees have only been in australia for 200 years i think we understand our honey that we love on our toast on our crumpets comes from bees so They're part of our food chain. We're aware of that. Even if we don't fully understand how they operate and what their needs are, I think if you eat honey as a kid, you know, you understand it comes from bees, therefore bees are important. You know, they give us food. (laughs) So if that's the only understanding and respect you have for the insects, that's fine. It's a start. And as you get older or wiser or more interested, then you may start to see more of those connections and realize, hey... There's a lot more we could do to protect our bee species. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, oh, we're going a while. We could talk all night about this. It's it's a great topic, it really is. And it's something that before we got involved in this, it's something that I I didn't realize the depth of of interest that this that this topic sort of generates. It's it's fascinating. Um Are there any dangerous, like, I mean, you're an educator, you've been asked lots of questions and there's probably even more misconceptions than some of the ones I've raised tonight. I mean, are there any dangerous misconceptions about bees that need to, you think you need to set us straight on? Dangerous for bees or dangerous for people?
1: No, I think we've discussed that when we talked about swarm collection. Yeah, the misconception around maybe they're tame, that's one. Um, Always approach bees with caution. If you're going to start handling swarms or colonies of bees in in any way, always wear your PPE cover-up. It doesn't fully protect you, but it'll give you a large proportion of protection against their stings. Oh, There's a variety of suits, so... Generally, they're cotton, Though these days we're getting into triple-layered mesh suits, which are sort of a rubber material, which are great in summer you know, when you want the airflow because you're sweating, it gets so hot in those suits. But not so good if you accidentally touch your smoker against the suit and it melts. And yes. Oh <laughs> uh,
0: so the smoke. Yeah, it would be really hot. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't think about that. So, so what is it about the smoke? We're jumping all over the place, but you're <laughs> reminding me of other things when you bring them up, when you raise them up. It's a huge subject. It is. It's enormous. Um, the smoke that pacifies them, doesn't it? How does it? I mean, is there like marijuana in it? <laughs> what? What is it about smoke that, that pacifies them?
1: Yeah, people have tried that. Um.
0: <laughs> I, bet, I bet. Hey, man, I got my whole my whole yeah. swarm.
1: Happy beekeepers, happy bees. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. There's a few theories out there, and nothing's definite from what I can understand, but certainly the the smoke is used to distract the pheromones, the scents, the alarm pheromones that may be put out if a bee was accidentally squashed or stung you and released its, you know, it's an alarm pheromone, a chemical. So the smoke's going to help break up that scent so other bees can't follow suit and all of a sudden you've got, you know, 20 bees on the same spot that you just got stung. So the smoke's good for that. The smoke definitely drives the bees down into the hive. So when you start to work a hive, you start from the top, you take the lid off and you give them a puff of smoke and you can see how the bees respond. Most hives and most bees should respond by going down and they're going down towards their brood to the babies and they're going down to their stores and the more smoke you give over time, if you've been giving them too much smoke or the smoke's too hot, their behavior and attitude might change. And all of a sudden, they're letting you know they've had enough and they'll start to race all over the hives. And you might get some bees jumping up at you at your face and hitting you and basically saying, all right, close this up, get away. Um, but yeah, no. most beekeepers use smoke. Useful tool.
0: <laughs> what a fascinating subject and what a what an awesome podcast this will be I think Danny thank you so much for uh, for spending the time with us and sharing all of this info I really enjoyed it I want to do part two but we have to say good night that's so, okay
1: demo no you're welcome I was just going to add though one last thing you guys are into citizen science and everybody can be a citizen scientist when it comes to bees There is so much we don't know, and there's so much you can learn just by watching bees in your own garden, in your own backyard. And there are now heaps of Facebook groups you can go on, and you can load up photos that you've taken of bees and get them identified. So, And and a great app that people are getting into now is called iNaturalist.
0: iNaturalist.
1: Yeah. So it's developed in California, but it's used around the world, and there's something like thousands, 4,000 or more actual scientists using iNaturalist and gathering the data. So you can be providing biodiversity data for scientists to study. And like I was saying before, beekeepers are also phenologists and they're following the cycles. So if you just watch what the bees are going to, what flowers they're going to, what time of year those plants flower, you develop this calendar of the cycles And that is really important information for scientists as well, especially now we're moving into climate change. And so watch the changes happening in your backyard, record it, and there will be opportunities for you to share that and contribute to science so that we can understand what's really going on in the bee space.
0: That's fantastic. Some great pointers there with the Facebook page and the iNaturalist. I think that's one title of an app, of citizen science app that I've been looking for for a long time. But it eluded me and um thank you for that because <laughs> that's the big one isn't it that's the one that just uh they used a lot during the bushfires here for you know finding uh near extinctions of certain species and birds exactly and dead, all sorts of things it's an amazing app so iron naturalist that's great to know thanks for that uh for that that pointer um and thanks again um when is the next series uh, of your podcast? When are they they going to air the next uh, the next batch?
1: Once we've recorded them. So we, yes, we're we we're, we're working on the content now. We're just lining up dates to get into the studio. We find in winter is a good time for us to do our recordings because we're not actually working our bees. That's a quieter time, and that's when bee conferences and everything happen. June, July. It's the quieter time and that's yeah. when we'll start to do some recording. So hopefully spring, yeah, all going well.
0: Oh, we're looking forward to it. Um, thanks again so much, Danny, and um, we wish you well and we'll see you um, at the Native Bee Conference. Looking forward in to it. time,
1: yeah. Yeah, we can meet face-to-face. Oh, real life. Yes. Yes,
0: yes. No <laughs> video, no Zoom. That's great. Well, thanks, Damo. Thanks heaps, Denny. Bye-bye. You've been listening to... Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.